Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Uh, how many of you have been on Instagram sometime in the last month? Lift your hand. Oh, my word, I had no idea. I'm so behind the times. Uh, how about Snapchat sometime last month? Oh, much less. Um, how about uh, Facebook sometime the last month? Oh, my word. Look around at that one. Okay, how about FaceTime? Wow. Pastor Ed, I'm in trouble, right? It's interesting when Mark Zuckerberg uh, decided he wanted to create a platform for communication that would draw people in that would be seen as intimate. What did he call it? He called it Facebook. And uh, I, I, I think that's what we all hunger for, isn't it? And we all want that, that uh, face-to-face relationship, that, that uh, right up close, and we want to know and be known. That's, that's what a face-to-face relationship is all about. I loved your story, Trevor, when you came back from Camino about uh, sometimes even though we want that and the, the world out there communicates, we can have that through these venues. When you were trying to communicate with Kellum and you did FaceTime, uh, that, that one time, Kellum didn't want to do that anymore. And, and to hear you explain his answer to why, he said, I want the real dad. Isn't that amazing? Wow, what a blessing that he wants the real dad. We all want <clears throat> the real dad, don't we? We want the real thing. And yet, what happens in our lives, uh, not wanting that, is sometimes we throw up barriers to letting God in our lives. Uh, sin gets in, or fear comes, or insecurity, and so we, we throw up walls. Usually it happens somewhat in- innocently. I don't want to say that wrongly, but we're duped by the evil one, because every desire, for the most part, has a legitimate root to it in the beginning, but we go after the imitation and lose the authentic, and so we have FaceTime instead of the real dad, so to speak. And we're going to learn today, uh, we're going to walk through the story of a lady. By the way, I've loved this personal series, haven't you? Where we get to learn that God loves us and he wants to make the relationship personal. And we get to walk through the story today like we have of Zacchaeus, and we saw it with Jairus, and with the lady who had the issue of blood, and, and the, the lady at the well, they had all of them one thing in common, didn't they? That Jesus wanted a personal relationship with every one of them. Well, guess what? It's not just them, is it? It's us. And, and we get to go in the story today of a, a lady who lived in first century. <clears throat> Her name's Mary Magdalene. Uh, we hear about her some, but, but once we begin to step into her shoes, we understand very much that God desires a personal relationship with her and with us. And then today we get to unpack that and we get to, to live into it and see what that means for us and our lives and our world. Uh, I couldn't be happier. Uh, there's, a, there's a little area just close to the Sea of Galilee where they were digging for a hotel site, and they hit foundation stone that shouldn't be there. It should have been 
sandstone at the most, but, but it was a structure. And it was a synagogue at Magdala. Oh, boy. Uh, off to the right, there's a, there's a stone, and, and it looks like somebody has carved out a place to put grandma's rolling pins in on each side. Does it not look like that to you? I, I just wanted to, to cry when I saw it. It, it, was, it was the place where they would roll out the Holy Scriptures and, and the, the wood portions holding the, the scroll would be placed there so that it would stay intact, much like I taped my notes to the podium. <laughs> and, and it brings chills to my spine to think that's where Jesus, no doubt, would have stood and, and he would have preached in that location. I can't prove it. It's not written in Scripture, but it's right next to the Sea of Galilee, and it's where she's from. It's Mary's town. It's not just a story in a book. This is a real person. This is a, Luke tells us in the start of his writing that I want you to know that this is absolutely accurate lest you think that somebody dumbed it down or made it up. Because it's so important that in Luke's writing, he says in chapter 7, he says soon afterward. What's the, what's the soon afterward? The, the soon afterward is that Jesus had just been talking to a lady who had come in and anointed his hair with perfume, and, and she starts crying, and she kneels down at his feet, and she, she's just a mess before the Lord because she's been so transformed. Jesus was speaking to a, a, a sinner, a lady that, that he, as a rabbi, that wasn't what your culture did in that day, but Jesus just loved her incredibly. That's what we get to read about. After that, this happens. Um, the first thing we're gonna know is that um, she's in trouble, this Mary. Uh, she's, uh, she's not close to Jesus at all. In fact, she's about as far away as you could get. Sometimes we think we're close, but we're really not. In fact, in this room, we're all together, aren't we? But would you say we're face to face? No. In fact, um, in this section, you're pretty tight, aren't you? But you wouldn't say because you're there that you have a face-to-face -face relationship, right? In fact, you could be sitting next to somebody and you wouldn't necessarily say that you have a face-to-face -face relationship with them, right? My point is this, is we can be in close proximity. We can have people all around us but not be in a face-to-face, -face, intimate, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Uh, Luke's going to tell us something about, about Mary. It, it's not just a passing comment. Uh, he, he's going to tell us that she's the one out of whom were cast seven demons. Did you catch that? Seven demons. Seven could be figurative. It's not odd in the Bible at all for them to use a number. That would mean completely full. I just have to ask, what happens to be filled up with seven demons? Oh, boy. 
when was that time she made a decision that she thought was going to fulfill her life and it took her the other way? We can be pretty sure that Mary has no relationship that's positive in her life. I've, I've seen some evil. Don't like to talk about it much. It scares me to even think what it was like to look in her eyes. I, I bet that she was incredibly isolated. I, I think that somehow she just started putting on the layers. I don't doubt that she was hurt. But, but when I think about her, I think that she's started out thinking she's going to find freedom what, by what she engages in, and now she's enslaved by it. I think she's a lady who um, is filled with shame and blame and bitterness and guilt, not because God ever wanted it, but because that's what happens when we leave and go for a false relationship. Um, her future, no doubt, in my mind, is defined by her perception, at least, of her past. That's Mary. Um, so th there would be a question here. Ever let anything get in the way of a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus? Ever take a, a rabbit trail somewhere that ended up being a Grand Canyon in your life? Ever find yourself thinking you were going for freedom and it enslaved you? I, I think that's where she was. Uh, Steve Carter, I'm going to be shameless in my introduction of him. Uh, we're going to show a clip a bit, um, in a moment where he helps us understand how we put masks on and how layers are created. And I get to advertise him at the same time. So let's roll Steve's clip where he talks about how we begin to lose this face-to-face -face relationship. Go ahead. I love Andre Agassi. I mean, he brought tennis in my generation to the mainstream. And he came out with so much swagger, gold earrings, gold chains. He had these Nikes with, like, sponsorship that was a white and black and this bright, bright fuchsia color. He had swagger. Canon actually started marketing him. They introduced a new camera called the Rebel, because that's who Andre Agassi was. He was a rebel to the game of tennis. And they had this brand, Image is everything. He had long, long hair. And when he would play that hair, it was just a mane, like a tiger's mane. It was just glowing everywhere. But when you read that biography, you know what? It was a wig. <laughs> he was balding. And what he decided to do was put a wig on because image is everything. And you know those times when you're watching sports and you're like, Andre Agassi lost in the second round? What? To some guy that I can't even pronounce his last name? How? What? How did that happen? He said he could feel the wig moving. <laughs> and he did not want on national television to have the wig come off. And so it's easier to lose and deal with the critiques of people than allow yourself to be fully seen and known. You know what's the crazy thing about masks? is they cover stuff up. And I imagine every one of us can say, man, I'm at least one of them, if not more. And we want to sometimes take all of the shame and frustration that, man, I'm a hypocrite. I'm an actor in certain environments. But what if we got curious? 
What if we really got curious about what is it covering up? What is it about us that we feel like we've got to cover this part up? Don't be a hypocrite. When you drop the mask, you're able to be seen, to be known. So we do that, don't we? We put on masks, we get hurt, we don't want someone to know what's going on and so we don't share. We do that in our interpersonal relationships at work, we do that with our spouses, we do that with other people. And if we do that enough, eventually we have this huge desire to be known face to face, but the problem is we can't be loved as we really are because we have so many masks on that, that we're not even really known. And that's where Mary was. In fact, let's look at the passage, Luke 8, 1 through 3. Would you stand with me as we look at God's Word? Soon afterward, we talked about that. He went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is really good news, isn't it? And proclaiming and bringing the good news, and the 12 were with him. Let's let's camp at verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. The, the word evil spirits, infirmities, and in the others is talking about sickness and in evil and so on, from whom seven demons had gone out. Different category. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, wealthy women, poor women, sick women, demon-filled women and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. You may be seated. Uh, What in the world? Demon-filled, controlled by evil, all kinds of masks, no relationships, following Jesus. Maybe maybe we didn't get this clear. Demon-filled. Seven demons, life of slavery, completely controlled by evil, life is a shambles, total mess, completely transformed by the power of our Jesus. I, I have a thesis here. I think we can change, not by our own power, but I happen to be a believer that Jesus can take us from the worst and fill us with his best and we can become something that we never dreamed possible by the power of our Jesus because Jesus makes it personal. How? By inviting us into a face-to-face relationship. Mary is completely different. She's following Jesus. She is contributing financially to the ministry for crying out loud. I just got to say, I love it when Pastor Brent writes me a note and says, another person stepped up and just wants to get involved, and they love what's happening here, and they want to give to the mission. And Pastor, it's over 100 families, and it just keeps growing, and we need more, but it's, that structure's going up, and it's being paid for, and, and she's in. Mary's all in, and she's, she's following him. In fact, John's going to take us further into his text in, in chapter 20, where he jumps off where Luke has given us an introduction. My guess is Luke wrote it letter, later to tell us a little bit about who she was. But he says, um, Mary's so in. Uh, 
She's so committed. She's been so touched by this face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus that she follows him in the ministry and gives to the ministry, and she loves the things he's about. She's bought into the mission, but when it comes cross time, she's there. When it comes cross time, she's there. She shares in the ministry of suffering. In fact, a little side something worth mentioning is she ministers to Jesus when she's been transformed by her suffering. It's, it's the, one of the few things that we can give back to Jesus that he hasn't already given to us. That's, I didn't say that right, but you know what I mean. Do you ever know what I mean when I don't say it right anyway? <laughs> uh, then, then the scripture tells us in John that, that Mary goes to the tomb and she sits across from the tomb and she, she looks as they pack Jesus in at nighttime into the grave so that she knows where they buried him and she's just a mess. Pick up the, the, the next morning, we call that Easter morning. We call that Resurrection Sunday. Is it okay to preach a little bit of Easter on not Easter? Thank you, God bless you, I'm doing it anyway. So, so John 20, beginning with verse 11, let's, let's take a look at it here. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've taken him. Kind of interesting to me that Mary is looking at angels of heaven and she could care less because Jesus is gone. Yeah. That strike you a little bit? Yeah. Uh, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus stand, standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Really, Mary? Seriously? Okay, let's play this out logically. How many of you ladies in the house could lift a dead body? I'm just saying. Mary is so consumed with her love for Jesus Christ that she's willing to do anything for the relationship. She's been so transformed by the power of Jesus in her life, that it doesn't even have to be logical when she gets in the, that situation. Grief kind of does that to us, doesn't it? As we go back to the, to the passage, he says, um, you must be the gardener. Now, now we think that that was a colossal error in judgment. But N.T. writes, lets us know that John loves to use images like empty water pots and great storms that become quiet, and they're all true, but they're metaphors for something else, and, and she really has discovered the gardener. You see, Jesus has gone back to creation, and he's invited women into the story, and she's discovered the gardener, the one at the garden where women made the mistake, and so they were damaged goods and they didn't get to participate. Guess who's the first one that Jesus talks to at the tomb? That was probably by accident. 
And so as uh, it goes further, sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you have laid him, and I will, I will uh, take him away. I'll find another grave. I'll go put his body somewhere else. She couldn't stomach the idea of Jesus not being taken care of, of Jesus not being respected. It just killed her because it was personal to her. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, something very profound. Remember, it's personal. Jesus knows our name. He knows what we need. He knows our past. He knows our potential. Jesus mentions her name. And when he speaks her name, it changes her world. Has Jesus spoken your name? No, really, it's possible to be in church all our life and have known a lot of really good people and done a really good, good things and not to have known his name. There, there's some ways to unpack that a little bit. It's possible to give roses out of lust or out of love. It's possible to... Um, uh, give money out of need or out of notoriety. It's possible to serve out of self-recognition or self-sacrifice. If, if we want to know who's heard Jesus whisper their name, all, all we have to do is find a person who is unconsciously loving Jesus when they don't even know it. Because the reality is, anything that's done for any selfish measure of return is not love, it's just selfishness masquerading as love. And so we do all kinds of things in life because of recognition or because of reward received. But you see, Mary goes to the tomb. She says, where have you laid him? She wants to pack spices around the grave. She's just a big ball of goo. Why? Because she's had a personal face-to-face -face encounter with her living Lord, and she can't stand to not to be close to the one that she loves. Oh, isn't that powerful? That Jesus Christ can call our name and invite us in, and we can have a growing, loving, powerful, ever-increasing relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle was talking about the hope of this kind of relationship, and, and he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 12, 13, 12 rather, for now we see in a mirror only dimly, but then, do you see the words? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am what? Fully known. That's the marriage word. That's the, that's the Greek for the closest of possible relationships. What does it say? I will know one day when I get to heaven, the veil will be taken away, and I will know Jesus perfectly. Okay, that might be worth something to us. And so when we are invited into the faith relationship with Jesus, we are coming to know him more and more face to face. Here's what I love. Paul doesn't say when we get to heaven, Jesus will then all of a sudden know us face to face. 
and we'll know him face to face. What does he say? He says, there is coming a day when I will know fully as I am what I am already known. Oh, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows us. Just like Brent knows his grandma and had the privilege and the right to stroke her hair and to love her up and to speak into her life. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus? If you haven't today when we take the elements, sit at the table invited, we're reminded that Jesus already knows us. It's we who hide from him. It's we who don't know him. It's we who are invited in. He's already given the invitation, and that's what was so transformative to Mary. That's what changed her life forever. But Jesus, you know me, and you still invite me in. You know the choices I've made. You still invite me in. And she becomes the first evangelist to the apostles. I just nicker when people want to tell me, you shouldn't have a lady in leadership. I, 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 really? Oh, okay. You know, it's in the Bible. I go, yeah, it is. First apostle to the apostles, evangelist to the church, powerful proclaimer of the kingdom. And she goes and says, Jesus told me to come tell you, first evangelist of the church, fulfilling her potential. What would happen if we decided that since Jesus already knows us completely, thoroughly, and totally, what would happen if we just invited him in? Invited him into the area that we don't want to talk about. Invited him into the things that we would just as soon not deal with in our lives. Habits, addictions, troubles, relationships gone awry. Have you noticed that babies don't have any trouble being known? <laughs> and when they are loved, they flourish. When in the old days they did this unconscionable research where they left them isolated and they gave them a fake toy and they gave them a bottle but they left them alone, they had enormous problems. Why? Because we are designed for face-to-face. -face. And here, here's my point. If Jesus already knows us and if Jesus knows us while we are yet sinners and dies for us, if he loves us, how about becoming like a baby again? I don't mean to be offensive. How about letting down our defenses? How about letting ourselves be fed? How about admitting our need and crying out all the time? How about waking him in the night? How about moving to him and saying, Jesus, would you take away my demons? Would you remove the strongholds? Would you cause me to love the world uh, like you love? And, and, and I could just say, if, if we, I don't want to offend anybody but I probably will. If we are known by Jesus 
And if he loves us like we think he loves us, and we are filled with him, and the demons have been exercised from our lives, I just got a question. Won't we be the first from the tomb to proclaim to other broken people that Jesus loves them? And they too will feel comfortable in our presence. It was just a question. So as we come to the table, ushers, we're ready for communion. So I'd just like to ask a few questions as we get ready for the table. We know that Jesus Christ has already given the invitation, hasn't he? He's done everything that needs to be done on the cross for us, and he's He's told us he loves us. Here's the question. As we come to the table, we'll receive the elements, we'll take the bread. Is there anything that we could do for him? Is there anything that we could say we'd give to him? Is there anything that we could lay on the table and say, Jesus, I'm willing to give up the false security. I'm willing to begin to work on the addiction. I'm willing to love my neighbor, I'm willing to be in face-to-face relationship with people around me. I'm willing to get into a life group. You ever heard of a life group? Because I know and believe that Jesus makes it personal by inviting us into a face-to-face relationship with him and with each other.